May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy scripture. The first book of Samuel, chapter 28. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Eshunam. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, neither by dreams or by unum or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall ask of you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me? For my life to bring about my death. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is, his, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answered me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell you what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord, this has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow 
you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once at full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on to your, on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they and they ate. Then they rose and went away that very night. Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who haven't heard or seen, uh, somebody broke in apparently last night and stole all of our air conditioning units from the back. Uh, last time they, they took the copper, this time they destroyed the units and took as much copper as they could get out of it. So the, the bad news is that. The good news is they didn't touch the ones out front, which drive this room in the library. So we still have a place to meet. So that's, that's good. Um, that's what uh, Kyle was referring to. That's why I, I think the, the message for today, it's about the preservation of the saints is going to be really helpful. Um, before I pray, I just want to read a, a scripture to help frame our thoughts hopefully hone us in on what we're supposed to be doing, which is praising the Lord in the midst of this. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Can we joyfully accept the plundering of our property? I don't know about y'all, I'm still working on that. I've gotten past, I'm mad about it. Now I'm kind of trying to head toward joyfully accepting it. Um, but we will see what the Lord has in store for us. So let's, let's go to him in prayer. Um, our great God and Father, you are sovereign over the stars, over the subatomic particles. There is nothing beyond your control and your, your, um, your mastery. And so, Lord, um, as Kyle reminded us this morning, you could have stopped that break-in any number of ways, any 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 number of things could have happened to prevent that. And Lord, you chose to allow it to go through. And so Lord, since you are so sovereign, since you are so good, we trust that you have purpose in that. And so 
as a church body, Lord, we come to you and say, Holy Spirit, show us the purpose. Show us where we should go with this. How should we respond? What's the wise thing to do? And Lord, as a congregationalist um, at heart, I pray that you would speak to all of us through the body of Christ, that we would all discuss this and think through and be praying about this. And so, Lord, would you uh, open our, our eyes to see what we need to do um, in response. And Lord, I want to pray for those who have broken in. Uh, Lord, I pray that sometime today it would hit them that they vandalized a church. N not a big business, not some place that has a ton of money, not some wealthy person's estate that has you know cash to spare, but Lord, a small church. And Lord, I pray that you would bring to them a sense of guilt at what they've done, a sense of conviction. Lord, would you weigh heavy on their hearts and their minds about the vandalism they've brought? And Lord, if they're uh, drug addicts or alcohol addicts or something, don't let those, those other things numb the pain of the guilt that they might feel from that. And then Lord Jesus, in your mercy, would you bring them to salvation? Would you bring them to repentance? Break their hearts and bring them to yourself. And Lord, have mercy on them, we pray. And uh, Lord, we're just grateful that we have this, this disruption in our lives to focus us again on who is really providing for our needs. And we know that that's you. And Lord, it's a similar situation in Hawaii where a, a wildfire has raged, destroyed businesses and homes. It's, the, the devastation is just horrible. They even saw videos of people jumping into the ocean to get away from the fires and, and lord this is heartbreaking and lord again we we believe you have purpose in that and and so father in this fire in paradise lord would you accomplish great things i pray that whatever role your church has there that she would be administering grace and mercy to those who've been so horribly afflicted and lord that um, that there might be some good that comes from this this horrific fire and so have mercy, we pray. Show your goodness and your kindness through the destruction. And Lord, I want to pray again for Joanne Sadler. And I thank you so much for her improved spirits and her, her strength coming back and, and the physical therapy that she's going through and the recovery that she's experiencing. Lord, would you continue to walk with her through that? Uh, Tuesday, Lord, they'll have a meeting to see if it's time to discharge her from the recovery center and move her back to assisted living for a while to finish the, the physical therapy or she should stay longer. And uh, Lord, we, we commend her to your hands. We thank you that, that you've been with her and walked through this with her so far. We pray that you'd continue to do that. Uh, so Lord, bless her and remind her of your love and care in that situation. Lord, Holy Spirit, be with us now as we turn to your word. Speak to us, show us what it is that we need to understand, what we need to get from this. And Lord, would you bring it to roost in our hearts, not just our minds, but bring it to roost in our heart that we might trust and, and, um, and hope in Jesus Christ even more. And we ask this in his name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Popatia Reginald Reggie Wright, he enlisted in the Army in 1981 um, as a transportation specialist. In other words, he drove a truck. Uh, the following year after his enlistment, he was assigned to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Special Forces Base. And he became a member of the U.S. Military Special Operations Command and earned his Green Beret. Um, he, had, he has decorations uh, that include a Bronze Star, a Purple Heart, and a Meritorious Service Medal, amongst a long list of others, just a ton of them. Uh, he retired from the Army after 25 years, and um, he, he retired at the rank of Command Ser Sergeant Major. Uh, once he retired, he moved to New York, and he started something called the 8th Special Forces Regiment, New York Honor Guard 
as a veterans uh, service organization. What, what that veterans service organization would do would provide final, um, final honors for any vets who had died. In other words, military funeral honors. Um, he even got to um, go on NFL sidelines. There's a couple of pictures of him on the sidelines at the NFL. Um, all of that's made up. He faked it all. He, he actually did join the military. He was in the army for about six years as a truck driver. And then he separated. He, he never earned a Green Beret. He didn't earn any of the decorations. He earned a few of the decorations he wore, but not all of them. And he just faked it all. It's, it's a, a crime, it's called stolen valor. It's when somebody pretends to have the decorations or pretends to have been in the military. Now, most of the time with stolen valor, you recognize it. If you've been in the military, you look at somebody in uniform and you go, this ain't right. The, the decorations are in the wrong order or there's, there's decorations that they can't have like a World War II ribbon or something. And you go, you, that's not correct. And it just draws your attention and you, you begin to take them apart. There's videos of people confronting uh, people with stolen valor. Um, but since uh, Reggie had been in the military, he understood enough to put his uniform together pretty well. The, the badges and, and the things he claimed lined up pretty well. What gave him away, though, was one tiny mistake that I don't think I would have caught. And that was his beret. When he was out doing something, he appeared with a black beret. Green Beret would never wear a black beret. A, black ber a green beret would always wear his green beret. And so the guardians of the green beret, that's people who are on the lookout for people who pretend, who do stored in valor and try to pretend to have been green berets, they began to challenge him on it. And they found him out, they called him out, and they wound up having to close the 8th Special Forces Regiment, which was never a certified veteran service organization. Those are special things that help vets. It was never any of that. Um, so he, he looked the part. I mean, if you saw a picture of him, he looked like a command sergeant major. He's a big, imposing man. Um, had the, all the decorations on, had the, the right badges in the right places, but his black beret is what tipped him off. And so sometimes when people do something like that, they can look on the outside very much like things are right, but there's always one little tell, one little thing that's not right something that shows there's a problem. So this morning, as we look at this story, which I know everybody's been aching to get to, the Witch of Endor, man, it doesn't get better than this. Um, we're gonna be watching, and what I want you to do is look and say, where is it that um, we notice Saul has got a black beret on? Where is the thing that tips off that he isn't who we think he is? And so that, that's where we're gonna go with it. So what we'll do is I'll walk through the story like normal and answer all the questions because there's a bunch of great questions in here. And then at the end, we'll, we'll begin to apply what we learned from that. So um, verse three, that really should be verse one. This should be the new chapter, but they didn't ask me. So it's verse three. Starts with, now Samuel died. Um, this is not a typo. This isn't somebody, you know, hit control pay, P too many times and pasted that in too many places. This is about the third time we hear that Samuel's dead. That's for our benefit. That's to remind us that our author is about to tell us a story and it's extremely important for we remember Samuel is dead. There's no question about that. So he is dead. This is not accidental. Um, Saul then, uh, it mentions, it kind of puts out of order. It says Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. So at some point during his reign, Saul expelled all the mediums. 
And that was a good thing because there's about four or five places in the law that says you will not consult a medium, a necromancer, a wizard, that kind of thing. So Saul did the right thing. He should have put them out. And, and as believers, we need to remember that, you know, horoscopes, while they're fun, we can't rely on those things. They're not real. That is trying to find something that God hasn't revealed through other means. And so that's, that's what the problem is with these necromancers and things is, are they real or not? We'll come to that when we get to the Witch of Endor. The problem is what you're trying to do is God has not revealed something to you and you're going to find another way to figure it out instead of trusting in the Lord. And so that's why we shouldn't do that. So the law says they should be gone. So he put them out. Now, what happens is the Philistines gather to invade. Now, remember last week when we looked at this, I said this story is chronologically displaced. Our author brought it forward because when we get to the next chapter, that's when the Philistines will gather to invade. So he brought it here for a reason. We'll see what, why he put this next to the story from last week in a little bit. But the, the armies begin to encamp and Saul sees them and it terrifies him. This is terrible news. We're going to get invaded again. It must have been a really large force this time to really surprise him. And so what does he do? What does he do? Um, he tells his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, if you're one of his troops, what's the right answer at this point? We put them out of the land, boss. They're gone, man. We, we did our job. And instead they say, behold, there's one in Endor. We found one. Guess we missed him. This is how messed up the situation is, that this is just kind of blown over. Um, so behold, we found one. Now, the problem was, the reason he did that is because the text says that God didn't answer him anymore. He, he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord would not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And those were three legitimate ways that the Lord would speak in the Old Covenant. So by dreams, well, God spoke through dreams a number of times. Jacob, on the way to, um, to Haran, sets a stone down and puts his head on it. That one, that's the hardest part for that story for me to reconcile is why would you sleep with your head on a stone? And this wasn't like a small stone because he later set it up as a monument. So he sleeps with his head on a stone and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder extending to heaven and angels climbing up and down on the ladder. And God speaks to him and makes a tremendous promise to him. That was legitimate God speaking through a prayer. Uh, Joseph, when he was in prison, he, he interpreted the, prayer, the dreams of the baker, the cupbearer, and the pharaoh. And he was known as somebody who could do that. Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. So that's a valid way that God could speak. But what happens when you don't have any dreams? There's nothing to interpret. God hadn't spoken to him through a dream. The Urim, the Urim and the Thummim, fun words to say, go home and say them three times today. They were something that were put into the ephod, the, the chest plate that the priest would wear, and they were used to inquire of the Lord. When we saw them earlier, uh, they said, if it's this, give Urim. If it's that, give Thummim. And so apparently it was like casting lots. So why, does it, why is it mentioned here? The reason I ask that is because Abiathar, when, when Saul killed all the priests, Abiathar escaped with the ephod in his hand. And he, in chapter 22, David says, bring the ephod and ask, inquire of the Lord. And the answer he gets is a binary, yes, no. So it seems that the ephod with the um and the thummim are with David, not Saul. As a matter of fact, we'll see in chapter 30, they're going to do it again. He's going to say, bring the, the ephod and he's going to inquire. 
So what does it mean that, that um, God wouldn't answer him through the Urim? Well, I think it's a, another stinging rebuke to Saul because Saul killed the priests. Saul didn't have access to the Urim and the Thummim, the, the, myth, the method that God had built into the covenant for asking and getting answers. He doesn't have access to it. So it's not like he asked and he didn't get an answer. He just doesn't have access. And what about the prophets? Well, man, the prophets. Samuel was a prophet. And he would come and say, thus saith the Lord, and tell him exactly what was going on. Um, apparently, there are no prophets available to David. The only other, because Saul, Samuel's dead, or no other prophets available to Saul because Samuel is dead. The only other prophet that's ever named in this is Gad, and he's with David. So he doesn't seem to have access to him, but time out. Remember the proverb we learned earlier? Is Saul amongst the prophets? Saul would go and meet with the prophets and he'd break out and he'd start prophesying. It happened to him twice. What about those guys? Are they gone? Well, we don't know. It doesn't say, but I would say this. There was the prophet Samuel who could stand up and say, thus saith the Lord and proclaim God is, is, is going to say this. Those prophets that, that Saul wound up amongst seemed to be a different type of prophet. They didn't ever they're not ever recorded as saying, thus saith the Lord. They have these ecstatic experiences where they break out in song and, and Saul wound up taking his clothes off and laying naked all night with them and just these overwhelming, bizarre kind of experiences. So if that's who he has, they're not going to answer him. They're going to say weird things and, and do odd stuff, but they're not going to give him an answer. So Saul is stuck. He has no answer. He, he's inquired of the Lord, what should I do? And it's, he's getting nothing. So he goes to Endor looking for an answer. So he disguises himself and he goes by night. And when he gets to the, the lady, he says, divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whoever I ask, uh, whoever I name for you. So she's concerned this might be a trap because she reminds him, didn't you hear what Saul has done? He's put us all out of the land. I could get killed by doing this. And he reassures her, it's okay, nothing's going to happen to you. I think that for her was like, wait a minute, something's going on. I think she's suspicious. So later on when Samuel shows up, that's when she's like, oh, wait a minute, you're, I knew it, you're Saul. So I think she's skeptical at this point, but she's going to do it anyway. So she suspects him, but okay, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up for me, Samuel. There's the second, oh, something's going on here. And so that's the giveaway. Now, at this point, there are tons of questions. I was saying this morning in Sunday school, Years and years ago, um, right after I started coming to this church as a young believer, uh, we used to do a men's breakfast and once a month. We'd just gather at some restaurant and talk about things. And uh, we were at one restaurant and we were talking and the waitress came by and she says, oh, hey, I, you guys sound like you know the Bible pretty well. I don't know. And she said, so tell me about Samuel. Where was he? What happened to him? Was that really him? She had all these questions. So this is an ancient question for me. It goes back a long way. So here's some of the question. Was that Samuel that showed up? Well, if it walks like a prophet and it talks like a prophet, I'm going to say, yeah, that was Samuel. He, he's very upset with Saul. Why did you bother me? I was sleeping soundly. I was very comfortable. And you came and woke me up. Why are you bothering me with this stuff? And then the answer he gives him, it's like he knows this person. Look, God rejected you. And here's why, because he didn't take care of the Amalekites like you were supposed to. And so the answer is terrifying. So yeah, I think that was actually Samuel. So then the second question is, where was he? Well, I don't think he's raised physically. 
think this is his spirit showing up, but where was he? This is where it gets a little more complicated. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God was not abundantly clear what the afterlife looked like, what we would call the intermediate state, the state between our death and our resurrection. It just wasn't clear. What they had was something called Sheol. And Sheol was just the place where dead people go. And the good would go there and the bad would go there. And it just everybody wound up there. It wasn't abundantly clear what that meant. So from an old covenant perspective, we would say Saul or Samuel was in Sheol. He was in the place where the dead people go. His body was in the ground decaying and his spirit was in whatever Sheol was. Now we get to the new covenant. Jesus shows up and he starts telling us a lot more about what that's like. He told the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and, and there's two places in Sheol. There's, there's Abraham's bosom, and then there's this place that it gets really hot, and people get tormented in. And so he began to picture the afterlife a little bit better. We hear from um, Paul, for example, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So for the believer, we're going to go to Sheol, the place of the dead, but we're going to be with the Lord in some way. So that's called the intermediate state. That's where Samuel was, was he was in that intermediate state. Now, in verse 19, after he tells Saul, you're going to die and Israel's going to be captured and you and your sons are toast. He then says in verse 19, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. He does not mean you and your sons are going to die and go to heaven. That's not what it means. Doesn't mean you and your sons are going to go to hell because that's where I'm at. That's not what's going on. He means you're going to go to Sheol. You're going to the place of the dead. It's a, it's a roundabout way of saying you're going to die tomorrow. Um, so that's important because later on when, when uh, David sins with Bathsheba and she gives birth and the baby dies, David says, will I go to him? Or will he, will he rise up and come to me? No, I'll go to him. Not saying the baby was in heaven or hell. David had no way of knowing. Simply, I'm going to go to the place of the dead where the baby is. So that, that's kind of important to get um, an understanding of the intermediate state from an old covenant perspective. Um, and so he's, you're going to die, and that's it, period. Uh, so then Saul says, why have you disturbed me? Why have you brought me up? Yeah, that's pretty much Samuel. Uh, I am in great distress, is Saul's answer. Uh, the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and, and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I summoned you to tell me what I should do. So here's, here's our black beret, in my estimation. This is, this is where we see Saul is not who he's, he's supposed to be. He's not really the man after God's own heart. He's a fake. Because... What is the situation he's in? Well, God has turned away from me and he's not answering. So what is the right response in that instance? To continue to call out to the Lord. Lord, I, I'm waiting on you. I don't know what to do. I'm in distress. I don't know what I should be doing. Instead, instead of trusting the Lord at this point, Saul says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll short circuit that whole thing. I, don't, I can't use the appointed means that he's given dreams, prophets, and, and Urim and Thummim. I'll go to a medium. I'll sneak around him. I'll do an end around and, and talk to somebody I know that can get an answer. I'll talk to Samuel. Saul, as we've seen throughout his whole career, is more interested in himself than anything else. I need an answer. I will get the answer whatever way I, I can uh, get it. I'm terrified, and, and I'm not going to rely on the Lord here. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. 
And so Samuel gives him the answer, but it's not the answer he was hoping for. The answer is the Lord will give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. You're going to lose. That's it. So then Saul falls at once on his face to the ground in fear at the words of Samuel. He fell on his face at the words of Samuel. What should he have fallen on his face instead of? Why should he have? He just sinned against the Lord. He just do, he did exactly what he knew he was not supposed to do. He knew it. I can say he knew it because he cast out all the mediums and the necromancers. He threw those people out of the land. He knew that was wrong, and so he, he got rid of it until he needed it. So instead of being afraid of his sin, instead of being terrified by the evil deed he had just done, instead he's, he's upset because, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. The battle's lost. I'm going to die. He should have been more concerned about, I'm going to die, and, and what am I going to do about this sin that I've committed? But that doesn't appear to be his, his concern at all. He's filled with fear. So he, he receives his last meal. He refuses to eat, and they talk him into it. And he receives his last meal, and then they went away by night. They sneak back out. It's, today, you will be with me. That next day would be the battle. And the next day would be the end of Saul. So last week, when we saw David flee to the Philistines, not flee from, but flee to the Philistines, when we looked at that, I said, why is it that he will be delivered? He'll be told that he's enlisted into the battle. He has to go into the fight. He's got to go fight Israel. And God miraculously delivers him by that, by having the Philistine commanders go, he ain't coming with us, even though the king said he would. Why does David get that, but Saul gets this? What's, what's the difference here? What's going on? God did, it's, it's, it's not like God did nothing for Saul, right? It's not like God just said, I have nothing to do with Saul. He's going to have to figure it out. Look at everything that God has done for Saul up to this point. Um, God gave Saul his spirit. Chapter 10. And the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. Chapter 11, verse 6. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words and anger was greatly kindled. Chapter 19. And the spirit of God came upon him also and he went and he prophesied. He had received the spirit. The spirit had been with him. As a matter of fact, when he's rejected, it says that the Lord took his spirit from him. So it's not like God did nothing for Saul. God did great things. He had every advantage. And he still disobeyed. And now it's possible for us, Paul warns us to not grieve the spirit with whom we are sealed. So we have been sealed with the spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit, but it's still possible for us to sin and to grieve that spirit, to act in contradictory ways to what the spirit is leading us to. That's not something unique to Saul, is that he could frustrate the spirit. The problem with Saul is he wasn't sealed with the spirit. He wasn't, he wasn't enclosed in the spirit the way we are, given him permanently. So the problem with Saul is not God conspired against him. The problem with Saul is humanity is bent to even with these advantages that God has given us to turn against God. That, that since the fall in the garden, that's what is happening. That's, that's why we do that is because of the sin of the, Adam and Eve makes us more inwardly concerned. We're, we're wondering, what do I get out of this? What's in it for me? And so Saul has given, been given tremendous advantage. He's been given all sorts of grace. 
by God, and he still turned away. So how is that possible? How is it possible that somebody could be in that situation? Hebrews chapter 6 says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. That's, that's not a New Testament concept. That's something that goes through the scripture. Saul didn't have to re-crucify Jesus because this happened before Jesus um, came to earth and, and ministered. But the focus is still the problem. The focus is still on himself. So imagine Saul, imagine this, this scripture, Hebrews 6, applying to Saul. He had been enlightened. Samuel the prophet came and told him exactly what he was to do. He told him, you are now the king. You need to go fight the Amalekites. You need to fight the Philistines. You're going to do this. this. The Lord is going to do this in and through you. He had been enlightened. He had the word of God. He knew from the scriptures that the necromancers and the mediums were to be put out. He had been enlightened. He had every advantage. He tasted of the heavenly gift. He prophesied twice. He tasted of that. He had a share in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon him. He, he, he shared in that. That was part of who he was. He tasted the power of the age to come because God granted him his success in battles. And that kingdom of Israel was a picture of the kingdom of God that was to come. He had tasted of the heavenly things, and yet he fell away. Yet he abandoned what he'd been given. He offered an illegal sacrifice. Do you remember that? Saul was one moment too long coming, and so Saul goes out and slaughters the offering and burns it on the altar, and, and he offers an illegal offering. And Samuel shows up, and, and that's that famous, what's this bleeding of sheep I hear? No, that's not. That's a different one. This one is, what's the smell of smoke I smell? And then he rebukes him. Now the Lord has taken this from your hand. He offered an illegal sacrifice. He directly disobeyed God's command concerning the Amalekites, and that's what comes up here. Samuel reminded him of that. Because you didn't bring God's wrath on the Amalekites, as you were clearly instructed to, God has rejected you from being king. He had all those benefits, and he still did that. And then in the end, he goes and he talks to a medium. And I, I think there's some irony in this, because when Samuel told him that God had rejected him in, verse, in chapter 15, one of the things he says is, for, the rebellion, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. He's guilty of all of those. He's done all of those now. So what's the result? Well, the result of his, his heart is the Lord departed, or the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So it's not like there was a conspiracy. God didn't have some divine conspiracy against Saul. Actually, it's the other way around. God gave Saul tremendous advantage, gave him all of these blessings. So when people say, well, you know, I would believe if, Look at Saul. He'd been given all of these things. He'd seen these tremendous things, and he still was more interested in himself than anything else. What do I get about this? He never concerned that I have offended a holy God. It's, Darn, now I'm out of a good deal. So Saul had tasted those things. He, he had been there. 
And that's where we have to remember uh, chapter 16. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul and then departed. But the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and stayed. And, and that's what makes the difference. That's, that's what is the deciding factor here is the Lord extended grace to David and he extended grace to Saul, but not the same kind of grace, not that power of the Holy Spirit. So this is important for us because we have to remember that the role of the Spirit in our life is that we are sealed in him. In the old covenant, especially in the book of Judges, you see the Spirit rush upon somebody and they do something outrageous, something incredible, something heroic. But that doesn't mean the Spirit stayed with them. The Spirit would depart, wouldn't come back necessarily. But in the new covenant, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going and it's good that I'm going because when I go, I will send the paraclete. I will send the helper, the standby, and he will come. He is the promise of the Father. And, and when he comes, you will be fitted with power. So stay in Jerusalem until that power comes. And when the power comes, it is the Holy Spirit appearing in tongues, and they burst out speaking many languages, and they proclaim the gospel. That's the difference between Saul and David at this point. That's the difference between us and others. It's not, I, I never attended church, therefore. It's, you could be in church. You could be a regular attender at church. You could be an officer in the church. You could be a preacher. You have tasted of those heavenly things. That's not the guarantee. The guarantee is perseverance. The guarantee is, do you remain there? What happens when things don't go your way, when you're not the star every single time, when you're not in the spotlight, when somebody breaks in and steals your air conditioning units? Then what? Poor me? The true saint, since we're sealed with the Spirit, we will endure, we will persevere. So let me give you some scriptures to remind you of this. Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed when the, with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the gospel and you believed. The Holy Spirit came to you and sealed you. didn't rest on you. He sealed you. And it says, he, the Holy Spirit, uh, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit sealing you is the guarantee that says you will inherit, you will make it to the end. So it is the, the um, preservation of the saints. God is sending his spirit and he is sealing his saints and he is the guarantee he will carry us through. He will get us through this. Ephesians later, Ephesians 40, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for a little while. No, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals you until you get to that day, that day of redemption, the, the day when we die and we're raised again and, and resurrected in newness of life. So the, the contrast, our author bringing these two stories, David's sin and Saul's sin together the way he does, it really projects two sides of the coin. David is delivered. David is saved. David perseveres. Even in the weakest of his faith, when he can't trust the Lord because he thinks Saul's going to kill him, God preserves him. God keeps with him. God does not take his spirit from him. But Saul, who's only played at it, who's only tasted it, who's only fiddled with it, and never put his hope in God, 
when his time comes, the Lord says, that's it. I've done everything I'm going to do for you. You've been given every opportunity. And this is where you go. This is what happens. So as we're moving through these last four chapters, these are one story. And so we're, we're going to hear Saul's story now so that we draw those two together. And then the next two chapters are the rest of David's story. And that's where we'll go over the next couple of weeks is we'll hear the rest of David's story. And then the final chapter is where Samuel's words take place. And Saul is dead. Believers, what I want us to remember in all of this is the surety we have. It's, it's not how strong your faith is at every given moment. It's not how faithful you're walking in every single thing. It is where is your hope? What is your only comfort in this life? What is it that you are looking toward every day? That's, that's what is going to preserve you. So even when your faith is at the thinnest, I've told you the story before. I'll probably tell it probably the rest of my life. In seminary, I was so burned out. I was so exhausted, so tired, felt so cut off. My thin was at its thinnest. I was just barely hanging on. And you would think that wouldn't be the case. I'm in seminary. I go and sit and study the Bible for hours every day. That must really be feeding my soul. And it really wasn't. It's not as mechanical as that. It was, I didn't feel the presence of the Lord in those times. But I kept calling out. And I kept walking. And I kept remembering, what has he done for me? What has he done for me? And so why is it that God would go silent in a believer's life like that sometimes? I think Joanne struggled with that when she was at a, in, in a lot of pain and, and wondering what comes next. I think she was really struggling with some of that. But she hung on. And so just this last week when I talked to her, she's talking about going through physical therapy and saying, I can do this because the Lord gives me strength. So she didn't abandon her faith, but it got really thin. Why does God do that? Is that cruel? Is he playing games? I've heard people complain about that and say that, that this is cruel that God would do that. I don't think it is. I think what it is is when we have times where we just are so aware of God's presence, the spirit is just so strong in us. And we just, you read his words and the, the or you read his, the Bible and the words practically glow. They're just, they come to life and you hear his voice so clearly and we delight in that. And our fellowship is so sweet and everything is going so well. It's, that's a blessing, man. We should be desiring that. that. That's the sweet spot we want to be in. The problem is our bent human heart hasn't been corrected yet. And so we can wind up thinking, well, we got it all together. And forgetting this is God's grace extended to us. So I think sometimes he goes silent and draws back not to punish us, but to disciple us and to say, do you want the things? Do you want the comfort? Do you want the fellowship? Do you want the joy? Or do you want me? I'm giving you those things so that you get more of me. Do you want more of me? And so I think sometimes he draws back in order to rekindle our desire, not for those good times, but for him in the middle of it. Because at that point, you got nothing else anyway. And the thing that's really bugging you is, Lord, I don't feel your presence, and I want that. And so you're calling out to him. So when that happens to David, read the Psalms. Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Lord, where are you when, when my enemies are around me? He's calling out to the Lord constantly. When that happens to Saul, what does Saul do? I'm going to get beaten battle. He, he never occurs to him to call out to the Lord. So believers, we have something even more sure. We're not Saul. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will keep you going in that direction. 
So when he's, when he's present and vibrant and you feel it just so strongly, praise the Lord. Delight in those times. Let them feed your faith. And when he's quiet and he's far away, remember those times. Remember what he's done for you and call out to him even more. We don't want to wind up with a black beret. We don't want to be found to be fakes. No stolen valor here. We want to make it to the very end. And we have the promise, the Holy, seal, the Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. So let's walk in that. With that, let's close in prayer. Lord, we can do all things um, through Christ. All things. And, and Lord, in that context, it's be rich, be poor. Um, but Lord, we can continue to walk because we're in Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, the blood-bought blood forgiveness of Jesus, the fellowship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to walk with us through whatever comes next, through all of those things. And Lord, if there are brothers and sisters who are struggling with their faith, with believing the truth, with sensing your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, in whatever way is best and perfect and right, Remind them that they are sealed with you, that you are continually with them. Lord, through fellowship, through your word, through our prayers, through sharing, Lord. Um, I just, I know that feeling, I know that desperation. And, and so, Lord, I, I pray for uh, anybody who is struggling in that way. Give them the power to continue on. Meet them in their weakness. Lord, may there be no souls found amongst us. And Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name for the sake of his church and his glory. Amen.